0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Selling smoothies is what I do. But for small business insurance, I chose my state farm agent. He's a small business owner, too. So he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor... State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance. While kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast. You are here with Pete Ball and, as always, my co-host, Chad Young. We are a proud member of the PitcherList podcast podcast network chad we're on to episode 12 here and we've got some questions from the good folks the listeners we went out to twitter got a few questions there you went out to slack got some questions there and we have our plate full with quite a few different names some guys performing very well but most of these names actually are performing terribly so let's dive right in
2: i think that happens when you when you get when you ask people for questions they don't want <laughs> to hear about the guys who are doing well the guys doing well they're like no 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 this guy's great i got him What they want to hear about is like, the guy I picked up last week, who's now terrible, or the guy who I was counting on this season and has been a disaster. Like that's who they're worried about. So that's who you get questions about.
1: And every name here fits into one of those two buckets. And the first one is Akil Badu, who took the league by storm, instantly became a fan favorite in Detroit, was smack and homers. And if you remember, Chad, you asked me at the beginning of the season in our podcast league, you're like, should we pick up Akil Badu? And I was against it because I thought our outfield was pretty stacked and I almost immediately regretted it. And now I'm like, oh, well, it doesn't even matter because this guy strikes out more than I, I have no idea. So Akil Badu, is he exposed? Is he adjusting? This is from at... It's Ian Polk on Twitter. Chad, what do you got on Badu?
2: Yeah, so I think the important thing to keep in mind with Badu before we dive into any numbers is that he's got, I believe, 42 career plate appearances. And now we're talking about whether or not he was exposed in the middle of those 42 career plate appearances. Uh, so I, the, the short answer is we have no idea. Uh, there's, there's no way to parse 42 plate appearances of data and get anything useful out of it. But I'm going to try anyways, because there is some interesting stuff here. Uh, As you said, he did take the league by storm. He just absolutely exploded out of the bat. Now what's exploding is his K rate. He had a 24% K rate through 413. So we're talking about, you know, the first week of games, basically, with a 283 WRC plus. So absolutely destroying everything, striking out at, you know, 24% is not like a world beating rate, but it's pretty good. You're pretty happy with that. The guy who's hitting the ball as hard as he was since then. He is striking out at a 58.8% clip, and his WRC plus is <laughs> you negative know, 12. Striking out in three out of every five plate appearances is, uh, it's not good. I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure how else to put it. It's, it's not what you want to see. Um, his exit velocity is actually up since then. His hard hit rate has been solid. But those both have contact as the denominator. So when you're not making contact, they're not that meaningful. (laughs) So it's sort of hard to understand, like he is still hitting the ball hard, but he just never hits it. There has been a little bit of a change in the pitch mix mix that he's faced. So in that first week, he was getting about 50% fastballs, about 28.7% off speed pitches and about 21.3% breaking pitches. Now he's getting a little bit more fastball, 54.6, not a huge change there. The off-speed stuff is down from 28.7 to 19.5, and the breaking stuff is up from 21.3 to 26.0%. So he's getting less off-speed, more breaking, a little bit more fastball, but not a huge gap. His WOBA so far on the season against those types of pitches is 497 against fastballs, 433 against off-speed pitches and 239 against breaking balls. His x wob off-speed is actually pretty bad too, so that's that's also lower. But you're looking at a situation where it seems like he spent some time crushing fastballs and off-speed pitches. Pitcher said, "All right, well, let's see what happens if we throw you more breaking balls." And he can't hit them. Um, again, it is a tiny sample. That may or may not be the case, but that's that's the, the closest I can see to a narrative here. I think the bigger issue is, if you go back to his last minor league appearance in 2019, he was in high A and striking out 29.8% of the time. So here's a guy who struck out in almost 30% of played appearances in high A, then played no professional baseball games except whatever they did in their like alt-site scrimmages for 18 months, and now is being asked to face major league pitching, small sample sizes, take this with a giant grain of salt. It does look to me like pitchers have adjusted a bit and that his k rate is catching up to him. He has always had swing and miss, swing and miss issues per scouting reports. Those seem to have reared their very ugly head, and I'm selling high if I still can where I've got him. If there's people who are interested in him i i'm gonna I'm gonna try to move on from him. I think it remains to be seen whether or not he can make the the counter adjustment, or whether he can make an adjustment to bring that K rate back down. But given his issues in the minors, I'm not super, I'm not super excited about it. Uh, and I think that one of the challenges that he'll have as a Rule Five pick, this is interesting. I've talked about this in the opposite direction with Garrett Whitlock. Garrett Whitlock, we talked about this before. He's a Rule Five pick, and so you can count on him. He will be in that either that bullpen or that so maybe at some point that rotation, but he will be in that situation and able to be used in fantasy all year. Badu, it looks to me like he could maybe use some time in AAA or AA for that matter. He never got above high A because of the weird year last year, and he can't get it. There's no path to him going there unless the Tigers are willing to give him up. And and I don't think they're going to be willing to do that anytime soon. And the Tigers aren't good. So they aren't worried about like wasting plate appearances here. If they think he can figure it out, they're going to let him try to figure it out. That could get ugly.
1: Yeah, I... So in a keeper, maybe I consider if there's a price attached to keepers, maybe I consider holding on to them because I I think – obviously you'd agree there is upside, there's power speed. If I got him in Otnu for a dollar, I'm not, I'm not doing anything with him. But in a shorter term or in a shallow keeper or anything like that, I, I'm I'm ready to drop him. He's already losing playtime. He's only played in two of the last four games that uh, Detroit has played. And over the weekend, he only got into two of those games against the Athletics. And during that time, he went 0 for 7 with five strikeouts. So he's, going, like like you said, he's going through some serious adjustments. That have This isn't a new problem. It's something that's been following him from the minors and in a shorter term term league or especially a redraft, I am fully ready to just drop him and move on. And if someone else picks him up and he ends up finishing with 20 homers and 10 steals and hits 250, good for them, but I'm not missing out on enough to warrant the level of play that he has given us over the last week and, and really other than the, that two homer spell against Houston really for a while now.
2: Yeah, and I'd be watching if I'm not a... If I'm not someone who has Badu on my roster today, I'm watching that strikeout rate. And if I start to see that strikeout rate creep back down, that's when I might be interested in buying back in. Uh, and, and like in, in in auto new, even in keeper leagues where there's a cost associated, I think there will be another buying opportunity on Badu in a couple months because I think he's going to continue to struggle for a while here. I think managers are going to get frustrated with him. I think he's going to get cut in a lot of places. And I think if you let him go now and just watch that K rate, when that K rate starts to look better, you'll have an opportunity to make a move and maybe profit in the future.
1: So to kind of cap off Badu, Chad, let me throw out a few names to you. So right now, Badu is owned in 71% of ESPN leagues, and that number is certainly dropping. So I'm going to throw three names out to you. Let me know if you would drop Badu for these players. Would you drop Akil Badu for Jesse Winker, who's owned in fifty-eight percent of leagues and has been tearing it up lately,
2: yeah, I, I mean that's a it's a weird one for me because I play in so many on-base leagues, and when you're playing in on-base league, like yes, why like Jesse Winker should be owned already. It's crazy that he's not. Um, but yeah, I would. I I think Winker's a stud. I'm a big fan of Winker. I I would not leave him on the wire anywhere.
1: Yeah, I love Winker, and definitely agree in the on-base leagues. Um, what about Brian Reynolds of the Pirates, owning sixty-two percent of leagues? <sighs>
2: Brian Reynolds, you know, he was so good in 2019 and so bad last year. And I've been really intrigued and sort of getting back in. He looks good this year. The BAPIP is way up, but the BAPIP was way up all through that 2019 season. And so he may be the kind of guy, like if you look at his minor league track record, even he had, you know, going sort of stop by stop. 391, 452, 376, 362, three, that 362 was in AA in 2018, 2019 he had a 394 in AAA before a 387 BAPIP in Major League Baseball in 2019, and last year it dipped to 231, now it's back up to 391. I don't think he can can maintain a 390 BAPIP forever, um, but if he is a high BAPIP guy, which he he seems to be based on his track record. Uh, there's a lot to like there, and there's not a ton to be scared about. He he. Last year, his strikeout rate spiked. He's brought it right back down to where it was in 2019. His walk rate has actually in, improved. His chase rate is down. Yeah, go get Brian Reynolds.
1: Awesome. Yeah, Reynolds uh, five walks over his last five games, only two strikeouts. He's had five multi-hit games this year already. That includes a four-hit game, so I'm with you on Reynolds, and how about one more? What about Andrew Benintendi of the Royals? You drop in Bidou to Pick up Benintendi. Not
2: if I can get Winker or Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Benintendi, man, I don't know what happened to this guy. I'm sure you you have been watching him closely as a as a Red Sox fan. He was so good. I really thought he was on his way to stardom. I mean, it, at both 21 and 23, he put up really good seasons. At 22, he put up an above average season, which is already impressive. At at 22 and since then it's just been a downward trend and I don't see any sign it's going to turn around I'm not even sure what to look for like everything his his exit velocity is up a little bit but like his hard hit rate still isn't very good his barrel rate still isn't very good his strikeout rate is down from where it was in 2020 but it's up from where it was in 2019 and he wasn't that good in 2019 he was fine I'm I think I'm just sort of done with Benintendi. Would I drop Badu for him? Like if those are my only options, I might prefer Ben Benintendi than Badu, but I'm not sure that's a a massive endorsement at this moment.
1: It's definitely not. I don't know if he's been dropped in the lineup already, but considering where he was at the beginning of the year, I think he's due to be dropped in the lineup. I think this is the only one I'd push back on. I would rather have Winker. I would rather have Reynolds, but I don't know if I would rather have Benintendi and not, not that, you know, that was that, like you said, bunch of an endorsement there. I think I'd rather, just hang on to Badoo and hope I get some stolen bases out of him. I know Benintendi has three already, but he has got he continues to get slower, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh and his biggest problem or, or- where people believe his problems came from is I want to say it was before the 2019 season. And that would certainly line up with where the, the direction of the production. He really bulked up and his numbers took a dip. And I believe he said, you know, like, yeah, I really shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, I'm trying to just slim down and and get back, I guess, the physique that he had before that when, when he was a productive MLB player. And it just hasn't happened yet. So, you know, it, between this year and last year, it's only 30 games. So I'm, I'm hesitant to completely write him off. But all of a sudden, when you combine that with 2019, you pretty much have a full season's worth of just not mediocre, but genuinely bad numbers. So I think I would rather have Bedou. I hope Benintendi bounces back. I like him, but I, I wouldn't uh, hold out
2: on it. Yeah, but if you combine those three seasons, those three, you know, the 2019, his short 2020, and the, the brief amount of 2021 so far, he's got a 315 Woba, which is, you know, Pretty, pretty far below average, below what was expected from him. 250 batting average is maybe not terrible, but 13 home runs across 734 plate appearances he's just not doing anything for you he's not he's not adding to anything and so I could see if, if if you're optimistic about Benintendi and you'd rather bet on him than Badu fine like I said I think in a shallow league um you can find something better than either of them I don't know I you know I'm looking at auto new numbers right now and Auto new Badu is rostered in 94.7 percent of the league so he's basically rostered everywhere. I don't think that number is going to stay that high. And I think if you have the opportunity to trade him, I would do it. And if you, can't trade him. I'd be comfortable moving on from him, especially because like, his average salary is four dollars right now, which means you can get a couple bucks back. I, I would, I would be, I'm fine
1: moving on from him. Agreed. I, you know, in, in rotisserie, I'd take Badu Just to be clear, I think in points leagues, I'd, I'd hold on to Ben Benintendi. But agreed. So we have a series of of pitchers. We were asked questions about Chad. This is from at tessler two three nine eight on Twitter at Patrick three on Slack at King with an extra G on Slack and at M on slack and the first one Chad is somebody who he's the new Tanner Houck he's like the opposite of Tanner Houck he's he's Well, he's Patrick Corbin. He's the guy that we talk about all the time, but we don't love. At least I don't. I'm still completely out on him, but he pitched well. So tell us about Patrick Corbin. Where are you at with him, Chad?
2: Yeah, so after his utter implosion, he came back and had a pretty good start last week. If anyone here listening who doesn't read Nick Pollock's starting pitcher roundup each day, I would recommend you do. It's a great just sort of quick review of what every starting pitcher did each day. In his roundup after that good start from Corbin, Nick Pollock said, I can't shake the feeling that this was a ruse, <laughs> that this is still gonna, gonna go south. The sinker is still super hittable. And I don't know, I'm still holding. I, I'm still like, nothing has changed for me. When we, we talked last time after the blow up, and before the good start. And I had said at that time that I was still holding him. I probably wasn't going to use him, especially in leagues that are deep enough that I can bench starting pitching. And that hasn't changed. That's still where I am. I'm still not ready to sort of throw him back into my lineup yet. But the upside is just too good to pass up. And I'm not willing to just drop him unless the price is really high. And there is one out of New League where I dropped him because I had him for $14 and I needed the cap space. And in that case, fine, I'll move on. But unless there's a good reason to drop him, I'm sitting on him still. I'm still not super comfortable using him, but I want to see where this goes.
1: Yeah, that's that's a fair way to assess it. I mean, it's considering how much people may have invested in him before the season. You can't do anything with him now after that last outing. I do think he, I believe, and I wish I had the number in front of me, he increased his slider usage in this outing and it coincided with obviously a very strong outing against a team that's decent. I, I I know people have been pretty harsh on the Cardinals, especially going into this year, but I think that offense has been okay. So it's promising, and if he is leaning way more on the slider, which brought him success in the past, I think that does make the sinker, the fastball, a lot more digestible, and it could result in him putting forward at least a decent year, which he was certainly not on track for before this outing.
2: Yeah, if you go back and look at his numbers and looking at his game log now, in his first start against the Dodgers, he used the slider 28.7% of the time. That was against the Dodgers, so <laughs> it's hard to read anything at anything with the Dodgers because they're so good. He then dropped it to 19% slider usage and 65% on the fastball. So the fastball, basically he went from 58.8% fastball, 28.7% slider to 65.1% fastball, 19.0% slider. And that was the blow up. Then he came back in his third start, this better start, and was all the way down to 51.3% fastball and up to 42.1% slider. So a big jump in that slider usage that coincided with the better start. Probably something to keep an eye on. It's a good call. It's a really good call.
1: It is worth noting he was still, you know, hard hit six times, and he did only have, I think it was what, eight swings and misses on, actually on seventy six pitches. We'll, we'll definitely take that. That's okay. So yeah, definitely watch the slider usage and go from there. But as of right now, there's not really a whole lot you can do with him. Even if you trade him, you're still really selling low considering the investment. So I, I wouldn't do much with him. I'd just wait and see. The next one was about Jose Quintana, who I I just don't think is a major league. Like, I shouldn't say major league pitcher. I don't think he's somebody even worth considering in fantasy anymore, Chad.
2: Yeah, I've been there with Quintana for a couple of years now. So I'm sort of surprised that there's still, still people out there where he's kicking around. I don't really know what to make of his season so far this year. Small sample. He is striking everyone out. And he's always been a guy who, like, at his best, he didn't strike people out. But now he's striking out everyone. He's also walking everyone, which is not what you expect from him. And he hasn't given up a single home run, but he's giving up a ton of hard contact. And so I don't know. I I don't know what to make of all that. And so where I end up being is I'm still out on him. I don't think he can maintain these K rates. He's never shown that he can maintain this kind of a high strikeout rate before. And so I don't believe he's going to keep it up now. The pip is really high. It's going to come down. But with the amount of hard contact he's giving up, it may not come all the way back down. And he's, no, he's not going to maintain a 0% home run per fly ball rate. Like that's just not a reasonable place. I mean, it's not a reasonable place for any pitcher, but it is especially not a reasonable place for a pitcher who's just getting tat and, and the ball is getting hit really, really hard off him. He's given up a max exit velocity of 116.4. His average exit velocity is 90.3. He's giving up 46.2% hard hit. The ball's getting hit hard, and this was the problem he had last year. His hard hit rate is actually a little down from last year, but not a lot. His barrel rate is the same. I I just, I I don't see it. I don't, he he runs into this issue where he just gives up really hard contact. That said, his FIP last year and this year, 299 Sierra and his XFIP are, are this year a little bit worse because of that low home run for fly ball rate I presume but I'm not a believer I don't think he can maintain the kind of strikeout numbers he's getting but there's there are some positive signs and so you know in a particularly deep league where you're really struggling for starting pitching I guess you could you could you could take a shot with him as a streamer right he's got Texas next and then Seattle whose offense can be sort of hit or miss after that I could see it I could sort of squint and see it, but it's not the play I'm going to make. I'm just, I'm just sort of ignoring him for now. We'll see if, if he can bring down some of that hard contact, maintain those strikeout rates and the walks come down, then maybe there's something to talk about. But right now, I just think it's just small sample size noise. And I think he's going to go back to being uh, back to being what he was the last time he was a full-time starter in 2019, which is a guy with a mid fours ERA not a lot of strikeouts.
1: That's probably accurate. I really like the fact that he's such a heavy ground ball pitcher. Well, I mean, so far this year, I mean, he, he generates a fair amount of ground balls and that is a really strong infield, at least when Anthony Rendon is, is healthy. So I think that can help keep down maybe the ERA a little bit, but look, the sample is small this year, but he's not showing us, I mean, it's an ERA of nine. It's like, it's he's not showing us any reason to be in. Like, yeah, the strikeout numbers are up, but the bulk of those strikeouts came against the Texas Rangers offense that is just absolutely atrocious. So the fact that he's walking a lot of guys, which really wasn't a concern for him at all in the past, seriously concerns me. And so I I, I'm completely out on him and I don't even want to spend any more time on Quintana. The next name in the list is a lot more interesting. Someone who a lot of people that drafted this guy, especially as early as he was going, they are sweating Bullets at the moment. So, what are your thoughts on Zach Plisak?
2: Yeah, Plisak. means this is this is a tough one for me because I am I am invested in him as a fantasy manager and as a Cleveland fan, and so there's a lot riding on him getting things right. I think he's just working through some stuff. He's still like he's still avoiding walks. He's still striking people out. He's just making mistakes, and when he makes those mistakes, they're getting absolutely hammered. Now, part of that is he just had two starts against the White Sox, and the White Sox offense is good, uh, even without Eloy Jimenez. That's a good offense, and it's going to like a lot of pitchers are going to have bad starts against them. But I, I also think there's sort of a readjustment of expectations that needs to be made here, which is I don't think he was I don't think it was fair to expect him to repeat last year. Um, he just he had such a great season last year. He is not a 2.28 ERA pitcher, but if you look at his FIP is XFIP his Sierra last year, they were 3.39, 3.50, 3.41. His XFIP and his Sierra this year are 3.67 and 3.84. And so I think when you when you look at that, there's some consistency there of a guy who's really sort of a mid-threes, maybe upper mid-threes ERA. I think that the strikeouts, strikeouts are actually are down. I should have been working before. Strikeouts are down this year, back to closer to where they were in 2019. I think those will go up. I don't think he'll I don't think he necessarily get all the way back to where he was in 2020. But if he gets back to the point where he's striking out like eight guys per nine innings and not walking anybody, like he's continuing to not walk anybody, I think he'll be fine. And I don't think he's going to contend for a Cy Young award, but that's okay. <laughs> and he doesn't necessarily have to do that. So I'm still I'm still holding Please act. I'm not giving up on him at all. Unfortunately, he's got a little bit of a rough schedule still. He's got the Sox coming up again very soon. I think he's got he should have the twins and then the White Sox as his next two. And so he's gonna go through this stretch where he goes White Sox, White Sox, Twins, White Sox, which is just a brutal stretch to have to go through. But then after that, Cleveland has the Royals, the Reds who are on the road and are much worse on the road. And the Pirates. And so I may bench Plesak in a couple places for the next start or two, depending on whether or not he can sort of get things back. Probably not everywhere. There are going to be leagues where my pitching isn't quite as deep or where the league is a little bit deeper and I and I don't have the option to bench him and I, I'll i use him in those cases. Um, but I can see being selective with him over the next two starts and then get ready for what should be a much smoother ride after that.
1: Yeah, it comes down to expectations with Plesak, right? I it... <laughs> Last year his schedule was an absolute joke and he was dominant for what eight starts if that's that's what it was. This year he faced a good team twice and got smoked. He faced a bad team twice and smoked them. So I think it's I think what concerns me I guess with Fleisak is he is who I figured he was, not who I think he was being drafted as though he was. Like he he was being drafted as if maybe he's not as good as he was last year, but he's a very good, you know, potential top 25 top 30 starter and he's just not that. The strikeouts seem to be to have been fickle from last year, and he's not going to have as easy of a schedule. I mean, granted, the White Sox he faced last year, and he I assume he did well against them because he had such a strong season. I could be wrong on that. I don't know. But he's he's all of a sudden going to be facing the Yankees. He's going to face the Red Sox. He's going to face Mike Trout. And when you get out of that AL Central, is he going to have as much success? I, I don't know. So I, I'm... I don't really have him in a lot of spots because this is kind of who I figured he was, but I'm definitely not dropping him if I have him because you just named that stretch coming up with the Pirates and the Royals. I mean, absolutely roll him out there because I think that's going to be three quality starts, but am I going to expect seven innings with nine strikeouts and no walks and two hits? No, I'm not expecting that because that's not who he is.
2: Yeah. I think if you go back to last season, He opened the season with the White Sox and threw an absolute gem. Eight innings, 11 strikeouts, no walks, three hits, no runs, like just beautiful. Um, He then had a stretch of Cincinnati, again, a good start against the White Sox, the Royals, the Royals, then a rough start against the Twins, a great start against the Tigers, and a rough start against the White Sox to end the year. And so if you look at what he's done going back to, let's say, his last Sevens, yes, seven starts. He's had three really good ones and three not so good, or four not so good ones, and it completely coincides with the quality of the opposition.
1: Yeah. So you, you pick your spots with him. Pick your spots with him. If, if he's got a two-star week against the Pirates and the Royals, there's. There's no way I'm not... Start- I, he's probably a top five starter for that given week. But if he's just, and in points leagues, he's money because he's going to pitch deep in the outings. But I, otherwise, I I don't know. I think he's just fine. And, and a lot of people are going to be upset based on where he was getting drafted. We've got two more names on the list here. And the first one is Frankie Montas, who... I even though he's had two absolutely atrocious outings, I still kind of like him, Chad.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. There's actually a lot of good I think with Montas. When I look at his numbers, he is looking at a career high swinging strike rate. As I mean, again, we're looking at you know three starts here, so career high, big big grain of salt here, but still, uh, it would be a career high in his swing strike rate, except for his 2015 rookie season where he was a reliever for a good chunk of time. His K rate is down a little bit, but his walks are back down, which was the bigger concern last year. So if you go back over the last couple years, 2019, he was striking out 26.1% of hitters, walking 5.8%. In 2020, the strikeout rate stayed up. It was 25.3, but the walks went from 5.8 to 9.7. He's got that walk rate back down to 5.8% so far this year. The 23.3% strikeout rate, a little low, but you know it's not a huge number of strikeouts that bumps that up to 25% pretty quickly. And so I'm not super worried about that. As bad as he's been, as hard a hit as he's been in a couple of his starts, his Sierra is 3.83. It's not terrible. And if you go back over his career in 2019, when he was so good, his Sierra was 3.76. He's still sort of that same guy. I think what you're going to see with him is he needs to control that hard contact a little bit more. Um, right now, that's his biggest issue is his barrel rate and it's hard hit rates are, are way up, but I think he will. I, I think he's still sort of the top 40 pitcher. We thought he was the the scary thing with him as a fantasy manager is that he seems to either have it or he doesn't. And you often know very quickly. And it can be very frustrating when you check in on one of his starts as a fantasy manager and he's given up like a walk, a hit and a home run in the first inning. And you're like, instead of thinking like, okay, that's a bad first inning, but if he gives me six more solid innings, I can live with that. You're like, uh Oh, here we go. He doesn't have it today. Uh, And that's going to keep happening with him. It's, I think it's sort of always happened with him, but overall, I think he's really good. I, I think, it's an interesting question of whether in if his good and bad starts are hard to predict, which I think they are, is he more valuable in a season-long league than a head-to-head? Because in a season-long league, those good and bad, you just start them every time, the stinkers are going to happen, but you know you're they're going to even out with the good starts, and at the end of the season, he's going to put up a pretty good line. Whereas in a head-to-head... He's going to win you some weeks and he's going to lose you some weeks. And I'm not sure. I don't know. I have him in a head to head. I'm just rolling him out and hoping for the best. I don't know what else to do really, but I'm still keeping in my lineups. I still think he's, he's a top 40 pitcher. I think my guess is his next start's going to be very good. And a lot of those numbers that we cited that are, are looking good are going to look even better. Uh, and I think he'll, he will go through a stretch now where he rattles off, maybe not starting right now, but he will go through a stretch where he rattles off. Five, six, seven, eight good starts instead of this every other one thing. It's just a matter of
1: time. Yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a pretty good buy low candidate actually. And and you could say well he's similar to Police Pulisic. He's had two strong outings and he's had two very poor ones. But at the same time, I think Montas has more strikeout potential. And given where Montas was drafted, I'm 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 more comfortable with that investment. And I know it's it's kind of silly to be talking about the draft at this point. It's over. Whatever happened happened. But. That does mean that we are more heavily invested in certain players than we are in others. And certainly the investment in Plesak after the draft season was heavier than Montas's. So I'm actually fine with Montas's production at this point. And a big reason for his numbers looking terrible is that one, his first start of the year against the reigning World Series champions who at the time had a healthy Bellinger and a healthy bets and Max Muncy went off and it took him 93 pitches or whatever to get through two and two thirds innings pitched. He, like Chad said, he's, he's prone to these kind of outings. But if you're not going to give him a pass for that, then I, there's no way you even own him to begin with. So, I'm I'm fine with with Montas. I like him going forward. I think he's a he's going to be a pretty solid, like you said, top 40 to 50 starting pitcher. I'm fine with that level of investment. The next name in the list is somebody who's definitely more concerning, and that's Kenta Maeda who's been knocked around quite a bit. Chad, what are your thoughts on the early going on Kenta?
2: So, there are some actually worrying signs I think with Maeda. Uh, his velocity's down. The Ks are down. His hard contact is way up. And, you know, looking at that more specifically, he was striking out 32.3% of batters last year. That was a career high. It was probably unreasonable to expect that to, con- to continue, but he was at 28.8 year in 2018, 27.1 in 2019. That's down to 19.3 this year. His velocity, which if you go back to 2017, uh, which was really, so you're going back four years now, His velocity in his fastball has been 92, 91.9, 92.1. Last year it dropped to 91.6. This year it's all the way down to 91. His walk rate is up a little bit, although it's still pretty good. He's got good control. I, I see just a lot of sort of concerning numbers in there, especially compared to that breakout season he had last year. And then there's the other number that he can't control, which is he turned 33 years old this month. And so you're starting to hit a point where... You know, velocity's down, and he's struggling to get those strikeouts, and it's reasonable to wonder if age is a factor. I, mean, I, I think you have to at least ask that question. And so, I don't know, I am I think he's he's not a guy who relies on being overpowering. He is not a guy who just has to, you know, pump in 97, 98. He's never been able to do that. And so, my, my overall take is he's probably more like his 2019 self than he was the short season version of himself which is, you know, an ERA around four, about a strikeout per inning, still a very solid starting pitcher. I think that, you know, we talked about expectations with Plesak, and I think that's sort of the case here too. If you look at Maeda, and if you've got Maeda on your roster, and you've got someone else in your league who thinks this is just a blip, and he's going to go back to what he was in 2020 and be a Cy Young candidate, I would sell high. I I guess you're selling low, but I would sell low. I would sell at that price if that's... If that price exists, if you're in a league where you don't have Maeda and the person who does thinks that he's, you know, he's 33, he's aging, he's toast. I would buy because I think that he'll be a solid starting pitcher. And so I think it just comes down to what you expect from him. And I I would, I would expect that ERA to come back up to around four and for him to look an awful lot like he did in 2019 with maybe a few less strikeouts. So. I think the good thing for him, if you're, especially if you're thinking about selling high, I would wait. And the reason I would wait is the next four series for the Twins are Cleveland, Kansas City, sorry, the next four starting Monday, because he hasn't pitched this weekend, Cleveland, Kansas City, Texas, and Detroit. He will get Cleveland and Kansas City. I think he'll get at least one of Texas and Detroit. After that, they go Chicago, Oakland, Chicago. And we just saw the twins have some issues with Oakland. And we know that Chicago can hit. And so if you're thinking you want to sell Maeda, give it a couple of weeks. Let him get through the month of April. It's going to get much better over the next couple of weeks. And then move on before he hits that rough stretch with the White Sox and A's.
1: That's great advice. I because I was I was just wondering what his schedule was going to be. And I would definitely wait those three weeks. Because if you if you sell him right now, you're not getting close to the value that you should get. And to be fair, he's only had one absolute complete like fantasy clunker that ruined your week. The other three outings were two earned runs or less. The problem was just the amount of hits he gave up and how long he lasted. He hurt your whip. He didn't kill your ERA. He didn't ruin your week. I'm looking at you know, his CSW is definitely down, but the swing strike rate is still 15%, which I think is very good. It's definitely above the MLB average. He's not fooling guys like he was before. His O swing is right around 37%, which tells me that splitter, that slider, he's maybe not generating as much swing and miss as he was last year. But I think drafting him as if he, again, I guess it comes down to to schedule, but I didn't even really think about that with Maida based on last year's success. I just thought this is a guy who has had really solid success in small spurts before. So a 60-game sample is kind of perfect for him. If you drafted him thinking he is who he was in 2020, I think that might have been a mistake but i still view him as a potential top 25 top 30 arm maybe even top 20 if he really turns this thing around so i'm not ready to sell just yet but you're definitely right about that schedule those next three starts sound like a layup
2: yeah i think you're a little bit more optimistic than i am i think top 20 is is pushing it top 40 uh for sure and again so you know expectations if you if you've got a a frustrated manager in your league who wants to move on and you could buy him for a top 40 price i would do it and if You've got him and somebody is thinking maybe he's, he's still a top 20, top 10 guy like he was last year. Sell while you can. But I think I think the next couple of weeks will be good. And so you know, enjoy that ride, at least for now.
1: Sure. And I, I, there was one sort of saving grace that I was looking at. And I, although it's not necessarily always the most accurate stat, particularly in this much of a small sample size, when you look at expected batting average, it's not really predictive, right? So it doesn't necessarily bode well for him going forward. And the number I'm about to give you isn't really that great. But basically, guys have hit 354 off of Kent Maeda so far this year. The expected batting average on those batted balls is 278. So, 278 isn't a great number. You still don't want that to be the expected batting average for your starting pitcher, especially if you drafted him where Kenta Maeda was getting drafted. But I think he has been at least a little bit unlucky. He certainly hasn't helped himself, but it also doesn't help when you have that level of luck. So, hopefully, things begin to turn around for Maeda. And, and based on those next three starts, I certainly think they will. So Chad, that brings us up to our new question of the day. Actually, no, it does not. We have one more question and that is about one last starting pitcher. And that is Huascar Inoa. And we were asked on, on Twitter by my buddy, Chris, actually the over under for Huascar Inoa in terms of games started. And he set that number at 15 and a half. Now I can already tell you, I'm going to take the over, but what do you think for Huascar Inoa? And, and, Aside from how many starts he's going to make, what are your thoughts on him to this point?
2: Yes, yeah, so let, let's start with my thoughts on him because I think that informs my, my over-under a little bit. Because obviously if I think he's terrible, then the, I'm going to take the under. <laughs> but I don't think he's terrible. I think you know we're, we are recording on Thursday. He pitches on Friday. We have very little track record of him. So we learn a lot every time he goes out. So I, I reserve the right to change my mind in 24 hours before this thing airs. But... I'm still really, really happy with Noah, and I'm still really interested in him. He got blown up last time out. But the thing I've been watching with him, the thing I was worried about with him, was can he keep striking people out and can he keep avoiding walks? And the answer was yes. He also gave up a bunch of home runs. That's a problem. Uh, and it's, you know, in, in auto new points leagues where home runs really get punished, there was a big shift of people who had, like, just signed him because they finally bought in paid seven or eight bucks for him because everybody was all excited about him, and then saw that blow up against the Cubs and and moved on. And I'm not moving on. I I think that, look, he's a a young pitcher who's still figuring out how to pitch in the major leagues. He has made changes that have led to much better results in the strikeouts and walks, and those are sticking around. And you know what? He's going to have some bad starts. People have bad starts. That happens. I'm not ready to give up on him based on that. Now, tomorrow's start that I mentioned is against Arizona. Uh, Where I have him, he is going to be in my lineup. I'm going to use him for that start against Arizona. There's no reason not to as far as I'm concerned. If he gets blown up against Arizona, then we'll have to rethink all of this and we'll see.
0: But even then,
2: I'll still be looking mostly at those walks and strikeouts. That's the thing I really want to see from him is maintaining that, especially those walks. I mean, his issue in the major leagues last year, he made... Nine appearances, five starts, 21.2 innings. He walked 13% of hitters, 5.4 walks per nine. He's got that down to 4.8% and uh, 1.69 walks per nine. And all through his minor leagues, he had walk issues. His walk, like almost every stop, he was up over a 10% walk rate. So if he's brought that down and can maintain this 31.7% strikeout rate, I'm sort of comfortable with that, even if he is getting knocked around a little bit. And I think that he can, can control those home runs a bit. We'll have to see what, what comes of that. He's got a 52.5% ground ball rate, which is good enough that it should help him suppress home runs. We'll see. Right now, I mean, right now, he's, he's running a 33.3% home run per fly ball rate. That's not going to continue. Um, for one of two reasons, either because he's going to do it for like two more starts and that's going to be the end of his career, or because it's going to come back down. I think it's going to come back down. I think if he maintains all the other stuff and that home run per fly ball rate normalizes a bit, I think he's going to be just fine. Which brings us to the over-under. I'm still going to take the under on 15.5. I guess it depends if we're talking 15.5 more the rest of the way, I'm taking the under. It's much closer if we're talking total. The reason is that if I look back at his history, he only threw 21.2 innings last year. He threw 92.1 the year before that. I don't think the Braves, who have some starting pitching depth and have some other kids they can bring up and have other guys they can give innings to, are going to roll him out there for 15 starts at five to six innings per start or 16 starts at five to six innings per start just every day, every five days the rest of the way because I don't think they I'm throwing that many innings. And so my guess is that what you're going to see from him is a few more starts and then either a quote unquote dead arm I L stint or a move to the bullpen for a period of time or something to control those innings. Then he'll come back and he'll make some more starts. And I think at the end of the year, I think he's probably got 10 to 12 more starts in him, something like that. Now maybe that's a little low. Maybe it is more like 15, 16. I don't think it's as much as 20.
1: I, I'm, I'm going to take the over for, almost the same reasons, actually, <laughs> that you're taking the under. And and like, yes, the Braves have a plethora of options, but looking at them, I don't think I trust any of them to necessarily stay on the field or more importantly for this question, keep Huascarinoa from making those starts. Now, you're right. I mean, given his track record in the past, we're talking really maxing out at 90 innings pitched, like you said, I still think like The Braves would rather run Enoa out there and just try to get those innings out of him as opposed to push Charlie Morton more than they should, push Ian Anderson more than they should, and definitely push Mike Soroka more than they should, right? I mean, Smiley's going to be coming off the IL to start this weekend, but they've still got both Soroka and Max Freed in the IL. I I think it's a team that actually would honestly make a ton of sense for these guys to embrace a six-man rotation. Not that that's what you want to hear if you have any of these players, but I, I with Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright, like what have they proven at the major league level anyway? Bryce Wilson had that great start in the playoffs last year. Outside of that, it's been a dud. Kyle Wright can't throw a strike. So if Inoa is effective, which he has been, and they need the start, I think they're just going to run him rancid, uh, or, or run, run him rampant, rather. Um, and like I, I, a move to the bullpen could be possible if they have a long relief guy in Josh Tomlin. Otherwise, they they have a pretty... A pretty solid bullpen. So I'm gonna take the over. I think I think they, they might push Inelha to give them, you know, twenty starts this year.
2: Yeah, interesting. I think we'll have to see. I, I think they're gonna they're gonna balance things a little bit more. My my guess looking at the team is like when Freed is healthy, he's gonna start. Anderson is gonna make like I don't think you're gonna push Anderson in terms of innings per start, but I think he makes Twenty five thirty starts this year like I think as long as he's healthy he's in the rotation I think Morton as long as he's healthy is in the rotation I think they will push him they don't have a lot like neither he nor they have a lot invested in his future at this point point. and so I think he's going to be out there whenever he can be and I think Inoa, then that is in a group of guys who are going to be in and out of the rotation depending on who's healthy and what's needed at the time We'll have to see. I mean, I think if they're fully healthy, I'm not even sure he's in the rotation if they're fully healthy, right? I mean, I think Smiley, Anderson, Freed, Morton, Soroka are, are their top five if they're fully healthy. And so I think there will be times when they are fully healthy when Inoa gets a break. And I don't think it'll be a question of is he the most effective or best option. I think it'll just be like he could use a couple of weeks of not starting or of being in the bullpen or of limiting his innings or however they want to say it.
1: That's that's fair. I, I think you know, it could still absorb a few weeks with with being in the bullpen or, or whatever and still end up meeting the over on that one. But yeah. time will tell. Mort- Morton's a guy that worries me just because – Oh, when I say worries me, I mean in terms of the Braves running him rampant because even if they're not invested in his future, he's a guy who's shown in the past, once it gets later and later in the season, if he's played a full season at that point, he starts to wear down. I think it'd be who of them to, to slow him down a little bit, give him a break, but we'll see. Like you said, there's no shortage of options. Chad, there was one more question I wanted to get to, and uh, it was not specifically it was not proposed by any of our listeners. It's going to be proposed by me. Are we going to see Mackenzie Gore very soon?
2: And I have no idea. One of the questions that we got asked that I did not pick up was what prospect should we expect to be um, producing and providing value soon, and who should we be looking at? And I think we need to. We're gonna we're gonna have a, a live brainstorm on the pod right now, where I suggest <laughs> that you can find a, a, a prospect expert to join us in one of the next couple weeks and talk a little bit about prospects. We should be looking at for keeper leagues. Uh, Gore still sort of fits into that. I hope we see him soon. I want to see what this guy's capable of. I feel like I've been hearing about him forever and I want to know what's happening, but I don't know. I mean, the Padres obviously need the innings and so he would make a lot of sense, but they've been super cautious with him and I'm sure they have their reasons for that. And so I, I have no idea. I have no idea what they're going to do or when they're going to do it. I think we still have to wait and hear what they what they say about Lamette. But if Lamette's out and they've got a couple other guys out, and now you're basically looking at a rotation of Paddock, Musgrove, Snell, and Darvish, you got to have somebody else in there. And I'm not really sure who their other options are. Maybe there's someone I'm not thinking of.
1: Well, right. You're not thinking of him because his name is Ryan Weathers and that, that is who they're sure. Yeah, right. That's, that's who they're using for their, for their fifth starter at the moment. I look at this team as a team that wants to compete. Blake Snell's not really giving them a lot of innings. Certainly Chris Paddock hasn't been living up to expectations, giving them a lot of innings. They may just need the kick in the butt. Even if, LeMet, and I don't like to speculate on on injuries, but I mean, the fact is Lamette left the game because he felt injured last night. Like, even if he's not headed for Tommy John, I don't think we're going to see him for a while. Now I said this about Fernando Tatis Jr. and he came right back, but this is different. This is a guy who had UCL issues or whatever it might be in his elbow, tried to rehab, came back in 29 pitches in had to get the hook. And then Andre Adrian Morion, same thing. He he might already be scheduled for his Tommy John surgery. Maybe he already had it. I don't even know. So I think the need is there. And I I think we're going to... Like A.J. Preller... This is what I love about this guy. He does not hesitate like this. I'm surprised we haven't caught the news already that Mackenzie Gore is getting called up. So I I do expect to see him soon. I
2: think, yeah, I guess the the question becomes from the rotation standpoint. Like I completely forgot about Weathers. Weathers has been really good. And if they don't think Gore is ready or they're not ready to go to Gore yet, I think they can live with the five they've got for a while. Uh,
1: they, They certainly could. I mean, their first four on paper are absolutely tremendous. And they have a deep bullpen. They have guys in that bullpen who can throw multiple innings. And let's face it, I mean, Mackenzie Gore had some some command and control issues. He had to iron out himself that really didn't get ironed out in the spring. So we'll see if in the extended camp or whatever they call it, uh, if that has been ironed out. If it has, then I expect to see him soon. But that there, there could be a chance that it hasn't. But I do think we are a extended IL stint from Lamet, which might already be happening, and Orion Weathers implosion away from, from seeing Gore. But anyway, it's pure conjecture at this point. We do have to get to the Ottenu question of the day here. It was suggested by Mark McElroy, who is a commissioner of the Pitcherlist newbies League, uh, and he writes about Ottenew for Pitcherlist. I'm sure you've seen his work before, particularly if you listen to our podcast. And his question's simple. Chad, how do you handle double headers when it comes to new?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a good question and it's an important question. I think to add a little context to this, in season long of new leagues, you have a games played limit for each position. So if you're looking at your your you know your starting first baseman or whatever, you have 162 games at first base, 162 at second base, um, everything except outfield where you have five outfield slots. You get 810 total games. And a game played is a game played is a game played no matter what happens in that game. And so if you have a guy who comes off the bench and pinch hits or a guy who comes in as a defensive replacement, that's a game. And you've used up a game on that one or maybe even zero plate appearances. And so the, when Mark asked this question, he was inspired by Randall Grichuk, who he started as part of a doubleheader. Grichuk started the first game of the doubleheader. Mark had him in his lineup. Grichuk then was benched for the second game, but came in late as a defensive replacement and never got a plate appearance. And so Mark used up two of his games in the outfield, and in one of those two, got zero plate appearances, which is uh, not a good way to rack up the points in a points league, even in a roto league. You know, you're, you're looking at a, a lot, you're, you're looking at nothing, right? You get no value for that one game. There's some added complexity right now because doubleheaders are those seven inning games. So even if a guy starts both ends of a double header, you get 14 innings out of him instead of nine. And that's, that's 22% fewer innings, right? That's a big change in the amount of value you can get. You know, in in points leagues, you're really looking at a, a total number of points per plate appearance and then plate appearances per game that determine a guy's value. If the game is only seven innings, that's a big hit to that value. And even in Roto Leagues, you're losing opportunities to rack up runs or home runs or RBIs or stolen bases, depending on what your, your categories are. Then there's, so start off with, Head-to-head leagues. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch from the season-long leagues to head-to-head leagues. Those are a different beast. And head-to-head leagues in auto new. There are no games played caps, so you can use up as many games as you want. And in those cases, double headers are gold because you, you're not you're no longer saying, oh, I could start this guy in his double header and get two games of seven innings each, or this guy who's not in a double header and get one game of nine. The games no longer matter. It's just 14 innings from one guy or nine from another, and 14 is better. So in double in your head to head leagues, you're starting these guys. Uh, the one exception to this might be at catcher, maybe um, because they almost never play both ends of the double header and so you get a you run the risk of a seven inning game instead of getting a nine inning game if you have another catcher on your roster. But in general, if a guy has a double header in a head to head league, I'm running them out there. They're gonna be in my line. In those season long leagues, I play my stars. Right? You're not worried about Mike Trout sitting one end of a doubleheader. You're not worried about Juan Soto sitting one end of a doubleheader. It might happen sometimes. right? Those guys need their days off, and occasionally that'll happen. But in general, if, if the Angels are playing two seven-inning games, you are going to get 14 innings and a whole bunch of plate appearances out of Mike Trout, and I'm using those. Anybody who's like a platoon guy or a part-time player who I can't count on starting every game, I'm probably going to sit. And that's particularly true for platoon guys, because So, give you an example. Jordan Luplo, who is not super highly rostered right now, I don't think, in auto new leagues, but has been absolutely killing the ball. Uh, He's only 10.8% rostered, but he's absolutely killing the ball against lefties. He is gold against lefties. However, he rarely starts against righties, and he often pinch hits. And so, if you have a doubleheader where where Cleveland is facing, if they're facing two lefties starting, if they're facing a lefty and a righty, there is a very good chance that what you get from him is one seven inning game and one game of one plate appearance, and he uses up two games doing that, and it's just not a good use of time uh, of a limited resource. And so, those guys, I'm going to sit. It's just not worth the risk. And that's basically where I stand. If so I'm really confident, the guy is going to start both games. I want to, I'll use him. That's fine. Especially my stars. If it's sort of a mediocre player, who's going to start both games, I still might sit him because two seven inning games is not necessarily the best use of those two games and guys who are going to platoon who I can't count on starting both ends. They're on my bench.
1: No, that makes sense. I mean, I I think those, those fringe starters as well, you know, not to turn this into a pitching question, because it's obviously a hitting question, but those guys who like, I bring this up all the time. We're in a league where you only get nine starts. If I see my pitcher, if it's some borderline guy, like Jacob Junis just blew up in my face the other day, but I, I still like him. I'm not ready to cut him. I want to see what he can do with that cutter going forward. But if a Jacob Junis is going to pitch a doubleheader or pitch, obviously, one of the games of a doubleheader, it's more likely that he's going four or five innings and it's going over to the bullpen than it is that he goes six innings or seven and gets the complete game. It's just, it's just the way that it is broken down to this point from what we've seen from managers on these seven inning double headers over the course of the beginning of this year and last year. So is it any different for starting pitchers? Are you more just like, no, no first pitchers. If it's, I, I, I want my win. I want the points for all the pitcher out there. Or do you think about it? Like, ah, i only get nine of these. This is a fringy kind of guy. Maybe I normally would start him, against the Pirates, against the Royals, whatever. But this time around, because I'm worried he's only going to go four or five innings, I'm going to have him at the bench.
2: Yeah, it's a really good call. It's actually, it is somewhat the opposite for pitchers as it is for hitters, at least for starting pitchers. So for reliever, well, let's, we'll start with starting pitchers, then we'll go to relievers. For starting pitchers in a season-long league, it actually doesn't matter because you have an innings, you have an innings pitched cap, not a game-started cap. So in a season-long league, doesn't matter if it's a six-inning game, seven-inning game, eight-inning game, nine-inning game, whatever, Start the guys you want to start. And if you have, you know, using Junis as an example, if you're thinking I'm going to get four good innings out of him, which in a season long league, that's fine. That's four good innings and you should take it. In a head to head league, you're right. You have a limit of nine or 10 or whatever it is games started per week. You have to make a decision of, and I think you're, I think it's probably you're giving up an inning. Right. I think that's what it comes down to, is you're going to get one, I would expect one less inning from a starting pitcher in a seven inning game than a nine. Inning. It's just, I, I don't know if there's any science behind that. That's just sort of my, my estimate on it. And so when you're looking at your starts for the week and you're figuring out which nine you want to start, you just have to factor in that if it's a seven inning game, it's a little bit less valuable. It doesn't mean you shouldn't start that guy five innings, four and a half innings, whatever it is out of Judas might still be your best option but you should just make sure and factor that in. But again, in a season long league, it's all about you have an innings pitch cap not a game starter cap so go use it if you want to use it. I like
1: the off the cuff it's about an inning. I think I think that's probably about accurate if we were to really break it down. That does really impact the the probability that that pitcher gets a win, which obviously is massively significant in a points league. So I think that would also further kind of impact my decision-making when, when deciding on pitching a guy in a doubleheader or not. Depends
2: on the point structure, right? I think in, in auto new points, leagues, there are no wins, so that it doesn't matter.
1: Sorry. My mind was just slipping into <laughs> my mind was slipping into standard week uh, uh, points leagues. I forgot auto new question of the day, but yes, yeah, sorry. But it's, <laughs> but it's a good
2: point because obviously we have <laughs> listeners who play lots of different leagues. And so it is a good point that you, you know, those seven inning games, you are probably not getting a quality start, except out of an ace. You are prob you are less likely to get a win out of a starting pitcher, I, for sure. I think that's true, and so I think it's if those stats matter in your format, you need to be aware of those. Um, but yeah, in auto new season long league, it doesn't matter. I'm just using him in a head to head. It just decreases the value of that start, and I have to sort of evaluate that compared to my other options. For relievers, it's totally. Um, it's not even totally irrelevant. It's a good thing. The doubleheaders are a good thing for relievers because you get extra opportunities for them to get into a game. They're they are likely to get into, you know, any good reliever, any reliever you have rostered on an auto new roster is very likely to get into one end of a doubleheader, right? Bullpens also are being asked, instead of going two to three innings in a game, maybe two to four innings in a game, are being asked to do more like five or six over the day, and so anybody you're rostering is really likely to get into at least one of those games. And in head-to-head leagues, there is no innings pitch cap for relievers. So anything they do is, is bonus and you want to use them. In season-long leagues, they are using up innings pitched. But one of the things you want to be doing in other new season-long leagues is maxing out your, maxing out your innings pitched from relievers. Because they are a higher value inning than starter innings. And so from that perspective, the increased likelihood that you get at least one inning from those relievers is just a straight up bonus, no matter what the format. And so if I'm looking at my roster for a given day, let's try to summarize all this. My star hitters are staying in the lineup no matter what. In head-to-head leagues, any of my hitters and headers are probably in the lineup because they're more valuable because they get more innings. In season-long leagues, I'm... Benching platoon guys or anyone else who I think isn't going to start both ends, and I'm being a little bit selective with who I start if they are going to start both ends. Any of my stars are definitely in, but anyone who's sort of a borderline play for me, I might sit rather than using up two games for 14 total innings. For starting pitchers, I am they, the double headers are irrelevant to me in season long leagues. I use the guy or I don't. In head to head leagues, I. I just decrease the value of that start a little bit when deciding whether or not it's one of my nine or eight or whatever it is that I get for the week. And then relievers, if they have a double header, put them in your lineup. Just get them in there because they're more likely to get an inning than they would be otherwise. You should use that.
1: I made the mistake before bringing up wins, but obviously every inning pitched, every strikeout, That all goes up, obviously, with the more innings pitch that a starter does make. So it's still, you know, a little bit of an impact there. But I like it. Good stuff, as always. Thank you, Mark, for the question. Chad, that pretty much does it for us. So, folks, thank you for listening to episode. Oh, man, we are already on episode 12. Please give the podcast Keep or Cut a follow at at Keep or Cut. Follow Chad at at chad young for some great cleveland indians jordan Luplow updates and if you really care about tanner Houck, feel free to follow me at at pete b baseball that does it for us folks good luck this week
0: Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 Plus Only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list. Teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.